Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. This is episode 163. 163. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, uh, we thought COVID was bad. We thought uh, negative oil prices are bad. But we think we were uh, getting on the right track. But uh, this week, they were showing uh, some reports that they're going to shut down the Dakota pipeline uh, within 30 days. And it looks like it will cause all sorts of chaos for energy transfer and many of the producers up in the Bakken. And uh, I just don't know if 2020 can get much worse, man. It's, we're only halfway through this thing. And I feel like we've been through <laughs> five of the worst years in my life. What you're saying is, is that no matter what happens, communism is always the worst. That's what you're saying, that pandemics are bad, low oil prices are bad, but communism is always the the worst thing to, to deal with. And, and of course, you would be, you'd be right about that. Um, Josh, we do have, listen, this is the last week to get in roasts. We said tax day. I don't think they've changed it, right? Let's see here. I think federal tax day is still on... Um, the 15th. Let's see here. Yeah. July 15th. So next week we went out to winter and all that jazz for the roast month. We are at 279 five star views. I think is what we are. So final little push here to eclipse the 300. We are Sparta type deal. And, uh, and we will go from there. Listen, we are at plus $40 oil. So if nothing else, enjoy that and give us a three, five star review. That would, that, you know, just, just to, just to say that. So, uh, yeah, on the Dakota Access deal, though, Josh, um, I don't know. I hadn't seen the, I hadn't looked at the recent thing, but last I saw, ETC was saying that they weren't even going to shut down. They are kind of like giving them the bird. Like, nope, nope, we're, we're going to go on about our business and keep on doing it. So I don't know. That was – I saw that late last week, I think. I don't know if they're going to still – they're going to go with that or not. But how, how does that happen? Like, did the, did the feds send in, like, the National Guard and storm the, the facility and turn the valve? Or yeah, <laughs> like, well, what I, happens? I mean, what do you do if you don't know what you're doing? So I, I know energy transfer said there's no way we're going to be ready to get 5 million barrels of oil out of this pipeline in 30 right. days so that you can test it. Yeah. So it's, right. You, it is when it's in the feds out there to fool that thing. Y'all go ahead. Yeah. yeah uh, right. So blew the hell up. Yeah. So like you got to shut it down. Then you have to go test it. And then, yeah, it's, it's oh God, communism. It's the worst. It is the worst. Yeah. The amount of money it says it's going to cost them to do this is on believable well uh, it, you know at least the judge was you thinking you know what we have a wonderful economy right now mm-hmm. they're booming energy transfer could probably shed a few dollars oil prices are at all-time high you know what why don't you give a little back to the community during this time and so i thank you judge for for being considerate of that during this um this wonderful blissful economic time that we're in it's, it's, it's good to know that you are on top of things and so now god communist i just can't stand up just can't stand. And listen, I don't know. I, I've been looking for, I'm sure there's probably some reports, but you know, I don't, you, you saw the deal about the Oklahoma ruling kind of like the Eastern, the, the judge ruling like the Eastern half of Oklahoma is kind of Indian land on some level, tribal land. Did you see that? I did not. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, it's the Supreme court. I don't know if we got a lawyer who understands kind of what's going on there. I've, I've kind of read a little bit about it, but I, I don't fully understand what all they, is going on. So did the judge say which tribe of Indians that it belonged to. Or? I didn't, I didn't read, but I just kind of saw the, I kind of saw some of it and they started talking about the, 
history and the trail tears and uh, what was supposed to happen. And I kind of was like, okay, I need to go back and, and look at this, but I haven't, but if we have a lawyer who can kind of from Oklahoma or understands the, the implications, because there's a lot of pipelines that go through Oklahoma, you know? And so obviously the keystone is a deal with, um, with the Indian, you know, on some level it's tied up with the Indian tribes and I am not an expert on this. So if you, if I'm missing something here, please let me know. But I, I interviewed a guy a few years back, about the, I think it was the Coda Access Pipeline up in North Dakota, um, maybe it was the Keystone. Anyways, and he was saying that the tribe up there, their argument was, is that the government illegally took the land and they sued the government and the government won, but they didn't take the money. And so their argument was, is even though we won, we don't want your money, we want our land back. And so they've kind of neglected or negated on some level, trying to negate the authority of the federals by the way they've handled the lawsuit. And I think that's part of what it may have happened in this Oklahoma deal as well, if I understand correctly. But again, it's, this is not the uh, Indian tribe legal hour. I do not understand. Uh, that's like some kind of complex stuff. I do have a suspicion. If you look at some of those treaties and stuff that that's, that is a complicated matter. And, uh, but anyways, so if we have a lawyer who's listening to the show that understands, I don't know if that's a special part of the law or not, you know, I have no idea, but we'd love to, Pick your brain on what could be some implications and could we see more rulings like this across across the, the US. But you get into a lot of things, Josh. If it is a deal where it, it does give these these tribes um, some expanded powers, then um, you know, what does that mean for some pipelines and royalty payments? And again, I, I have no idea. We'd have to get a lawyer on because maybe 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 that won't well, even be relevant. One of the things that, that uh, a lot of people aren't aren't actually taking into account uh, is um, there, there was something that I saw that where something went to end and it was, it wasn't this, uh, it was something else, but the, the guy ended up doing a, a, a just a look at the history and, and, uh, basically it had, this land had belonged to like three tribes that have, so belonged to one, one came in, killed the tribe, took their women and slaughtered them and they took the land. And then somebody, some other tribe from another area came and fought them and just slaughtered them and took the land. And, then the white people came in and basically the, the, the issue is going to be, how did they, how far back did they go? And how, is it arbitrary line? Like anyway, so that, that there's lots of stuff that people aren't considering. I'm not necessarily against um, trying to figure out where the government has taken things from people illegally. I'm, I'm not necessarily for, um, for the government doing that, but also have some hesitation with, um, arbitrarily drawing the line and saying that, that it happened for a you know, hundred years and then we're going to just handle it on this last one. Well, right. And, and I'm trying to remember back to the interview. It was on the global interview. There's podcast. It's been years ago, but I'm trying to remember back some of the, the problems that I was thinking about. But one of them was, if I remember correctly, in this particular case, the tribe claimed it owned, um, you know, we'll say a thousand acres, a million acres, it doesn't matter. Oh, in this part of North Dakota, I believe. And, and when the government took it, they sold it to some ranchers and those ranchers had been there for the last hundred something years. Right. So the, the, the tribe saying that this is what we own. And I think through the legal battle, the, if I remember correctly, the government actually acknowledged, well, you should have owned it, but we, we took it from you illegally. And so we're going to pay you. And then they said, no, we're not going to. Oh yeah, money. yeah. 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 Okay. Well, it's an interesting question because if the government said that they stole the land and I think that's what they said essentially, or we took the land legally, um, then you would want the land back. Potentially you might not want the money. The problem is, is that you've had someone there for like a hundred years and they, you know, didn't necessarily have anything to do with it. So you get into some really 
yeah, interesting ethical and, and moral questions about what was done a hundred years ago, because, um, you know, cause let's just say that it does have a hard deadline for that or a hard time, uh, time period for that. So, okay. The government says a hundred years ago, we did, we did you wrong. Um, and the tribe for a hundred years just said, we want our land back. Well, Bob today may or may not, you know, he probably wasn't alive back then. Um, and so probably didn't negotiate the deal. Um, maybe his family's tied up with it. Maybe it's not, but, um, there's been a hundred years worth of development on, on that. And so those are just questions that, um, we have to take very seriously because you don't want the government to get away with, with, you know, atrocities on the flip side. It's also quite possible. It could be atrocity to take the, the land from the people today. And so those are just questions that, that, that I don't, I, I think, as you said, we had to kind of pause and reflect upon what kind of, what, how do we want society to handle these issues? Because the money may or may not replace the land. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, it, it, you know, you may want the land of the money or you may want the money of the land. So, uh, anyways. Well, we have an article we're going to jump into. This is from the Wall Street Journal. OPEC allies to set are set to ease oil cuts, anticipating demand recovery. Uh, so they are relaxing the group's curves by 2 million barrels a day. Um, it's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them cuts going, huh? Yeah, man. Look, we got coronavirus breaking out in a couple of areas, so called, and uh, and I'm, uh, I'm not so sure. We're about we're 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 not going to have a another another drop in prices here over the next couple of weeks. So, mm. I, you know, I, I was talking to someone before we got on this morning, and my concern really is kind of outside of oil um, in general because if you look at the stock market. Elon Musk is like the number two richest guy in the world all of a sudden. Okay. Tesla stock is, um, let's see here if I can get it pulled up. Uh, Tesla stock right now is trading at $1,760 a share. 1760 a share. Why didn't I just buy like two of them? <laughs> $1,700. I looked at Tesla. A share. They were Think about that. something not too long ago. What's that? Mm, they were at 400 and something not too long ago. Yeah, that's why I was trying to get it pulled up. Look at the history of the chart. So if you look at the six months, so this is from March. At March 17th of uh, this year, 2020, they were at 361. Yeah. Yeah, I almost bought a few. I, I seriously did. I, 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 I'm not a big Tesla fan, but I almost bought a few just because I know the government's going to help them out. So I was like, a, man. A year ago today, is it $253? Today is it seventeen hundred and sixty dollars? Yeah, the world has lost its mind. <laughs> Listen, I ain't mad at you, Tesla. I mean, I'm a little envious. Don't get me wrong, uh, but you know, and they had like what was it? Um, Twenty. Let's see here. Uh, hold on, let's see. I can pull it up real quick. But you know, so when you look at the the price and what what, what people were thinking is going to happen, like stuff like that makes you wonder. Oh my gracious! Yeah, twenty billion dollars in shorts. Uh, Texas short uh, Tesla shorts were uh, put in last week, I think. So people are like, it's got to fall. It's got to fall. And it just keeps going up. So what does that mean for demand? I'm like, like I, I don't know because the market's just lost its mind. I, I just simply have no way to understand or any, um, you know, I don't know, man. Like that's Tesla 1700 a stock. <laughs> Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm gonna pass Amazon to keep home. I don't. Yeah, it's what is going on here. I don't. I, I mean, so how do you when you look at demand coming back? Well, they're, they're making clothes now, right? 
<laughs> yeah, they made them shorts. Yeah, yeah. But so when you talk about demand coming back, though, a serious question is: is well, how do we know demand's coming back? Like, there's nothing. Oh, that's my question. Is I'm looking at it, it's like I am not quite I mean, so sure we're there yet. I mean, might be. I, we might be, but when you look at, I mean, Tesla has not sold that many cars, and of course they have some other things to do. But there's no logical reason for Tesla to be that high. There's just not. Um, so the market's being overinflated. And if you assume that's going to bust, which I do, what does that then do to prices? So if in three weeks from now, all of a sudden the stocks start plummeting and you know you kind of have a big sell-off, what does that do to oil prices then? Do people start getting panicky and going, oh my gosh, we're not out of the woods yet? You know, And so those are, those are the types of things that I'm not, I'm, I'm concerned about because it's, um, it, it feels like we're, we're getting a lot of mixed signals. But I think Josh, we did say we got to get to the end of August. And so... You know, these are the kind of things we were we were looking for. So this is one more sign. How will you know, the frackers uh, respond? Will be an interesting thing to follow. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to watch OPEC. I think they have a meeting Wednesday, but they're going to decide what they're going to do. Obviously, there's some mixed feelings from some of the people there. They think it's suicidal to keep doing, uh, keep going with the cuts. That they need to try to get market share. Uh, others are afraid that they're going to crash the, the oil price. So uh, interesting to see what they what they decided to do. So uh, this, uh, this article uh, from Houston Chronicle is about the judge that rejects the Dakota access pipeline request to stop closure. Um, we've covered quite a bit of that. I think it says the pipeline holds 5 million barrels when it's full. It will cost $24 million to empty the oil and take steps to preserve the pipe. The company says that to maintain the line, it would spend an additional 67 and a half million each year. It remains inoperable. Mm. 67 million plus 24. So if it just one year inoperable would be approximately $90 million. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. And they got invested 3.8 billion to build the line. I mean, not only does that cost money to keep it operational, but they're trying to protect their investment of 3.8 billion. Um, I just, I mean, that, oh man, that's just that's frustrating. That is frustrating. What is it? What is it? Ship? Uh, I read something as it might not be in this article, but it was like thirty-three percent or a third of the the oil produced in the area goes uh, to that pipeline. Yeah, it, went yeah, it goes to that pipeline. Yeah, it, it went to problem. It's, it's. I, I don't. I don't know what we're what we're doing here, and you know, I. Uh, it's it's concerning on a lot of levels. There was a couple of big pipelines that are on the East coast that were canceled because they're like, you know, permits, we're concerned about what's going on. Um, you know, so, you know, what do we do long-term if we can't, we can't be, we can't feel confident that we're going to build pipelines. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if the, if I, I, ended up, I was doing some reading earlier this week and I saw something going on with, um, Texas and Mexico. Um, maybe attend one of my roundups. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, it, it just, it just reminds me of that. Like you don't want to go invest in Mexico because you don't know right. if, if they're going right. to honor it. And it's like, we don't know if we're going to honor our own stuff. Now we get permits <laughs> and stuff. It's like, who right. in the world is going to go invest 3.8 billion in pipeline in this country. If, if you may, they may come back and make you shut it down for two years. Um, that's, that's a killer. man. It, it, yeah. And then you've got, you know, there's all kinds of contractual obligations that I don't know. I haven't read the the ruling, but you know, 
energy transfer has deals to transport the oil. So how does that affect their contracts? And, you know, what about these companies who are putting the oil in the pipeline? You know, there's all kinds of things that it's, it's not as simple as just saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to shut this down and real quick, Josh, just one, one thing. Uh, I know we have a guest coming on here in a few minutes, but we're talking about the demand stuff. So uh, the total flights, I was trying to find this before we're talking. I couldn't, the total flights were down 42% in June compared to 2019. Um, and commercial flights were down 62% compared to June of 2019. Now they are starting to trend in the right direction. Uh, they are starting to come back, but we're still, if you look at kind of, uh, where we're at, I don't know. I'm trying to see what this is. This is by the end of June, we were at about 125,000 flights roughly. And for, June of last year, we were above 200,000 flights. Um, and for 2018, we we're about 190,000 flights. So we're almost back to 2016. I say almost back 2016. That will be about 155,000. This, this is a chart. I'm kind of roughing the numbers in here. So we're, we're almost, we're, we're within distance of the 2016 flight numbers, uh, within distance. Got a, it's a lot of flights, but you know, still got a little ways to go. Well, if there's any indication with oil and gas prices, there's a report to come out from, it comes out from uh, the National Association of Realtors and they track um, foot traffic through houses when they show them. Uh, so it, every every showing is uh, is logged uh, by real estate agents across the nation. Um, foot traffic was down in April by over 90%. So uh, even though people were buying houses, they weren't going to look at them. So that they were, they were very rarely going out to look at the house. When they went to look at them, it was maybe to choose out of the last two or three. Um, they didn't, you know, just wasn't going out and doing a lot of viewing. So uh, that, that shows you something about demand uh, is just that people aren't going out and doing their normal behavior. They're trying to do as much from home as they can. Right. They're venturing out a lot less. So, I mean, that affects the airplane stuff, but even just day to day oil and gas use fossil fuel use in, out in the economy, I thought, I thought that was interesting. I know that um, in April it did double to May, but mm. it's still down eighty percent. Right, um, right. So. Yeah, that's the, that's kind of the problem is, is these numbers. You go well if you're down sixty percent, and then the next month you're up thirty percent. It's like, well, wait, hold on, let me go back and yeah. <laughs> look at that chart. <laughs> a thirty percent gain isn't necessarily it's good, but it's it's relative to where it was before, yeah. which is you know. And so the the lesson here is, folks, is go if you got a diesel, go turn it on and run it. If you got a gas burner, go drive that sucker around. Uh, we need to get some energy. Now I'm not going to ask anyone to go fly on a plane. I'm not flying with a mask on. I'm sorry. I just, unless I really got to go, I am not flying the mask on. Would you fly with the mask on Josh? I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like I would have a subconscious, like we're, we're going down, baby. We're going down. I got the mask on. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> that's what you wear you, when it goes, when it starts to crash probably like, yeah. So if you have this mask on and then the, the, the mask from above deploys, which one do you, like, how do you judge that? Because you could spread the COVID in yeah. that moment between, because you're going to be breathing heavy, you know? So do you... Rona or asphyxiation, you choose. <laughs> <laughs> one of the masks works a lot better than another one, I, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to find out how well the other one works. I'm just going to say that. I don't want to know. Not about that. Me, me neither. <laughs> Oh gracious. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, just keep using oil and gas people. That's, that's, um, that is your, it's really, really a, a deep thoughtful plan there. Um, but 
I don't know, ma'am. I don't know. We need to, we need to get some demand going. But anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, we got one. No, that's all right. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure what we're going to be at. You know, I mean, looking at these numbers, I'm not sure what the demand is going to be for June. Um, hopefully you see just a huge, when I'm talking, I'm talking about foot traffic, hope it's just a huge uptick. Um, because strangely enough, uh, the real estate market is actually not doing that bad. I mean, the the sales are happening just without the foot traffic, okay. without all the without the driving. You know, and that's that's mm-hmm. part of the the concern is that I wonder if we're actually creating a new environment here. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, you know, when the flu comes around here in a couple of months, if we're going to be wearing masks, if we're going to be, um, you know, doing a lot more of this home based thing. Oh, uh, an article that said thirty thirty percent of people. Uh, that lived in the in the urban areas were interested in moving out to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's so, well. Right. They're, they're wanting to get bigger houses. They want to go away from the open floor plan so they can start working from home. So they ain't got to travel into work, going into the city. So that may that may actually help demand. Think about it like this. Let's say that uh, let's say in six months we we say okay we're done with the COVID or you know eight months or whatever, and all the people have moved out to the remote areas, um, and then all of a sudden people are like, you know what? That COVID thing is kind of kind of by the wayside now. We want you to come back to the office. Well, now the gas demand would be increased because they had to drive yeah, drive further further distances. So, <laughs> yes, please go ahead and move to the country so we can get that gas demand back eventually. But yeah. and that's also going to cause multiple home sales too. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you're talking yeah, about it, the market boom there. Yeah, we got people driving, doing stuff. Yeah, I put this the other day was, you know, you might see something where the gasoline diesel type demand comes back and actually surpasses maybe the previous levels at some point, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the economy's rebounded because people might be just driving further distance to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, more, or more people are driving to work because they don't want to ride in a, they don't ride on a subway or a bus or, or whatever, because they're afraid of, you know, get the COVID. And so you might see an increase in gas demand um, quicker than other industries uh, bounce back, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go to, to you know, Applebee's on Tuesday night or to the movie theater on Friday night and, and stuff like that. So how the, how the demand is dispersed for uh, fuel and stuff like that across the, the economy is going to be interesting to track because I, I think part of America really wants to um, go back to, to life as they, as it was before. Cause you'll see plenty of people who are ready, you know, when they open something up, man, a restaurant's packed out or a bar's packed out or whatever. So there's definitely a segment of the population who's ready to go back, but are people ready to go back to um, go back to movie theaters and, and stuff like that at the level they were before is just still, we just don't have enough data for that yet. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm eager to, to find out how this stuff's going to shape up. All right. We have a special guest coming on today. Akash Sharma. He's the product manager at, uh, with open insights at Inveris. Akash, great to have you on the show today. We've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me over, guys. Uh, great to be on. Doing good. Uh, you know, uh, uh, living life and as the quarantine slowly opens up and getting back to normal. How are things with you guys? I'm not depressing. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about the... the um, the uh, ETC pipeline shutdowns and just what's going on. And so yeah. uh, it's like, good grief. We need some, we need some good news for the oil and gas industry. And so looking <laughs> at what you guys, you're rolling out a, a new program or revamping a program or kind of explain what you, what y'all are doing here. 
Sure, absolutely. So uh, the product that you guys mentioned, Open Insights, it's actually a family of products that uh, we've sort of uh, we're designing that is designed around adding a lot more uh, capabilities to the uh, you know oil and gas industry, both on the oil field services and the operator side. And uh, where it comes from is about two years ago, I think, or about 18, 19 months ago, uh, Drilling Info back then acquired Oildex. And Oildex uh, is uh, the company behind Open Invoice, which is one of the most widely accepted uh, invoice transaction uh, softwares out there in the oil and gas industry. We have about 80 to 85% of oil and gas spend in North America going through our system, which comes out to, uh, you know, roughly... Uh, $200 billion annually, give or take 10%. Uh, so with that in mind and with our expertise in uh, data analytics and uh, you know just our relationship with the network uh, in the oil and gas space, we went out to create uh, easily accessible and very actionable spend and revenue analytics for the operators as well as for the suppliers. So if I'm an OFS company, especially as you mentioned in this time of volatility, what I want to make sure is I understand well, if I made X amount of dollars last year, you know, where did it come from? And then how much of it is at risk? And how should I pivot myself if I need to adjust for it, if I need to account for some risk? And so that's what this platform that we've created allows you to do. Just the amount of information flowing through that is like 400 million lines of data a year or something. So trying to, you know, put your own multiple Excel sheets or even BI platforms together to be able to, I just handle that much data can be pretty, you know, really incredibly difficult. So uh, what we've designed helps them tackle that. While at the same time, as you mentioned, like, you know, in this environment, sort of find that last dollar or find that efficiency, find that relationship that can help. That's a win-win situation for both the operator and the supplier. Yeah. One of the things is that you said uh, in this uh, press release is that um, you guys estimate uh, the EP capital expenditures have dropped more than 40% from last year's levels, which is yeah. it, on, on some levels, that's a staggering number. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell if I thought it'd be more or less that I've kind of read that a few times. <laughs> it's like, I mean, <laughs> it's a staggering number, but in 2020, it's like, eh, only 40%. That's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. that everything else is going yeah. on. No, absolutely. I, you know, <laughs> to that extent, uh, with the amount of just destruction of demand that has happened uh, because of the shutdown of the economy and uh, those factors, uh, it was only expected for uh, for ENPs to you know cut down their production. Uh, we we are doing an analysis right now as we speak to get some more numbers on this. But uh, you know, to me, it was also like uh, I filled up my car uh, with gas like a couple of weeks ago after like two months. And then I was like, oh, here's another 40 bucks. And then <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'm happy or sad about this 40 bucks. Like, right. This is a spend that I wasn't doing for a while, but only 40 bucks. Like I should be paying more for this. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. So one of the things, you know, uh, if you know, uh, someone who owns a service company myself is you look at something like this, like, okay, well, okay. So I kind of appreciate what you're doing here, but you're also, so concerned, like, you know, is it, you know, how do I justify spending the money to go out and buy a platform like this? Because listen, it's, it's, it's brutal out there as it is. So this is a new expenditure that I had to go fork out money for. So how, you know, what, what, how do I justify that as a business owner um, that now is the time to go and, uh, and spend more money when every yeah. dollar's tight? No, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one of those things which, which makes a lot of sense. And as you'd expect, those are just 
some of those standard conversations we are having with our customers almost on a daily basis. So a uh, couple of things that we work with our customers on to help them understand that is, first of all, just since we've launched this to now, the amount of exposure we've had this product, we're able to actually estimate a pretty decent return on investment. And depending on the size of the company and, of course, the amount of transactions, the you know the more business you're doing, the more you have the likelihood of inefficiencies. So the more money you can save, it's a so uh, even though we even when we look at that, we found that using this product, you had a return on investment anywhere between eight x to thirty two x in the first year itself. So then you're thinking of the amount of money you'll end up saving with this investment. And then the second thing is, even with our smallest customers, we, you know, the idea, of course, of for Inveris is, you know, we're not selling, uh, you know, individual products. This is a partnership with all the companies that we work with, because we want them to continue working with us, because that's how we, as an industry, sort of, you know, move forward if everyone adopts analytics, right? And so, from our perspective, that also adds value. Is the product is priced in a way that it barely makes up less than a percent of their spending. Uh, it, it's a it's a very effective uh, and price effective product, and most importantly for us, it's the value talk, right? So if if I am giving you a service, if I am giving you an offering, and I can justify you a 10x return within the next 10 months, it's a much more easier conversation to have than to like, hey, I know you're struggling right now, and for some of our peers that are really really struggling, we have worked with them and you know given them a lot of it's a good guy contracts like, hey, we'll just give you a certain amount of time for free while you use it and identify the actual potential that you're getting from it. So there are a lot of ways to work around it, but you're absolutely right. That's definitely uh, a conversation that we are having a lot more often these days. Yeah, one of the questions, um, I, I have a graph here, um, and you kind of have all the basins basically covered, it, it seems. But, um, you know, so this Texas Oil and Gas podcast, we have folks from around the nation that, that listen. But even inside Texas, there's a big disparity on the amount of work going on in the Permian versus the Eagleford. Uh, of course, we have friends in Oklahoma, um, some listeners in Colorado, so uh, North Dakota. So, uh, you know, is this an equal opportunity platform for folks in the different basins? Or would you say, no, you really need need to be in a basin that's kind of hot and heavy um, because you know, we mm-hmm. have some companies that, that you know, they're in the Eagleford and that's really all they focus on. I don't know um, if, if a tool like this, is it kind of equitable for, for what they're going to be able to get out of it uh, compared to someone in the Permian? No, absolutely. So while, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say Permania is gone, it's still there and everybody wants to focus on the Permian uh, for good reasons, but uh, the product in itself is not limited by any of those uh, geographic limitations. Uh, in fact, we've seen companies and clients of ours use this product to identify, like, I know I have a reduced budget as a service company and I want to invest X amount of dollars. Should I invest it in my distribution facility in South Texas or West Texas, right? Is there an expected growth? Because uh, South Texas, uh, you know, EOG is one of the more de-risked companies. Am I expected to get more of their business? That's just, it's not in the core of oil and gas, but it's with a safer client, so to speak. So looking at this information, especially because it's there on information and we've added so much color to it, really helps uh, decision makers in these companies make the decision on where to invest and where to take their month, uh, company next six months with sort of a risk rating associated with those decisions. Yeah. And so on the forecasting stuff, um, you know, obviously we're going to have quarterly reports that are coming out. Obviously you guys have tons of data from all kinds of stuff. Can you give me, without the secret sauce necessarily, what, how much are you guys weighing maybe um, uh, if you're looking at decline curve data that you guys have versus public 
Uh, you know, we're to have the quarterly calls coming out. So how are you guys trying to evaluate maybe the real data versus what's being told to the SEC versus what's being told to the, to the public? Because you know, on a show like this, we're, we're kind of covering the news and what's kind of at the public level. You guys obviously have a lot more data. Um, that you're, you're, yeah. So how do you balance that out? Absolutely. So the two aspects of that. So firstly, we have a team of, with a recent merger with RS Energy Group, we now have a team of about 150 expert analysts uh, that have, you know, the dedicated teams of multiple analysts who've been tracking a particular basin for, you know, months, years and years, right? So these guys are effectively like reservoir engineers and working in an ENP style shop for the business. So their expertise definitely helps. Uh, but on the other side, when we look at it from a services perspective, uh, the risk associated for a drilling company with an operator is different for a risk associated for a completion company, right? Because if I have, especially in this environment, I may be in good financial standing based on what they're telling the SEC or what they're telling in the IR reports, but I also need to better understand if this guy is going to go out and drill more wells or not. Right. So as I forecast those things, we also do them specific to the industry. So we create a profile that will bring in risk associated with this activity, right? So if XYZ operator has a 100 permits out, we will uh, stack rank them or qualify them by the quality of geology, what basins they've said that they are interested in continuing to drill and associate risk associated, uh, to each of those permits according to that, right? Now, uh, with having said that, it, it, you're absolutely right. There's just so much noise that comes in. But what this this sort of a methodology allows us to do is bring in seven or eight different things, including this open insights internal financial data, to sort of log the averages, sort out some of the outliers. Right? If a company saying, "I'm going to run ten rigs this year," and I'm like, "Well, you've run one in the last six months, so you're not going to run ten rigs this year." It's easier to make that deduction when you're looking at how many permits they have left and the finances they're running with. Okay. Um, one final question, um, just to make sure, um, obviously we've, we've kind of said rigs and uh, really got an upstream basis. Uh, is this really for our upstream type listeners? What about our midstream listeners and folks who kind of work on the facility stuff? Is there, is this platform right for them potentially as well, or really just kind of the upstream service providers? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. I, I would say the platform is mostly for upstream service providers. Having said that, uh, since we, have the information from an operator perspective, like that's how we get the information. Uh, the data does contain information around spending around facilities, spending around midstream, how much company, how much, uh, how are companies managing their water handling, uh, you know, LOE costs from that perspective. So I would say upstream, but uh, to me, upstream goes all the way from prospecting a geographical area to giving away uh, liquids to the uh, pipeline segment, right? So all across that spectrum. Okay. All right. Uh, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to mention about the platform? Uh, and then also where can people find out more? Uh, should they go to the website, contact someone, you may have a webinar or something you want to promote? I don't know. Oh, absolutely. You know, thank you so much for that opportunity. We do have a webinar coming up where we you know, discuss into using this information. We've been able to get a very good handle on almost every of our 30,000 suppliers out there's BSO. And so how much are they, how, how long are they not getting paid after, uh, you know, they do a certain service. So we'll be doing a webinar around that on the 17th. So that would be that you guys can check out on the Enveris website. You can register for it. And on the same website, you would have access to the 
you would have access to the uh, open insights for suppliers and open insights for buyer. They're, they're right there on the web page. So you'll be able to access those uh, URLs and just check out the website then. Yeah. Thank you okay. so much for the opportunity, guys. Yeah, anything, anything else we didn't cover that you wanted to hit before we let you go? No. I'm good, man. Very good. Well, I think it's the first time we've had on someone from, listen, I'm calling you guys drilling info for probably another three or four years. I just, I don't like to change names, but I think it's the first drilling info appearance we've had all year. Did Josh? Yeah. Yeah. We had several last year, but oh, last uh, this year, year well. this uh, year, I don't believe we oh, had any. Yeah. So it's good to, good to get you guys back on and uh, thank you for this and uh, best of luck on the platform moving forward. So, um, and hopefully this will help some you, of our, our listeners out there who yeah. are all trying to make a buck right now. It's a tough environment. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that's, that is our, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, being a service provider to a service and an operator, we only make, uh, we only do good when our customers do good. Right? So it's, it's right. in our very own best interest for the oil and gas industry to do well. So thank you so much for the opportunity. And, you know, if there are other topics that come out and I think Invaris would more than happy to join the call and you know, sit down with you guys and discuss about other stuff going on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. You too. Bye. Thanks again to Akash Sharma uh, for coming on to discuss Open Insights with us today. That was uh, that was certainly insightful. I wonder, uh, I wonder how, wonder how that uh, is going to play out over the next few months over here in in the Permian. You know, with companies that are going to be pinching pennies. I mean, he said eight x to twenty two x. That's a huge return. I just don't know if. Uh, People are going to be able to swing it right now. I mean, I feel like they should just give me a free subscription. I'll try it out for them. Let them know. Give a give a outstanding review on this podcast. You know, so just just saying, if you guys want to, you know, throw well, out a free subscription to your boy, you know, just let me know. Well, I got some good news, bad news, um, and uh, the roundup for today. We're going to start with the first one. A mammoth heat wave is going to be lasting weeks and will cause a painful spike in utility bills for poor Americans. Um, that's the title of this article. And God, you were the, you were just lovely today. Hey, like, hey, let me just hey, say, this is good news. This is increased <laughs> oil demand. This is gas being used, oil, energy. Uh, oh, you're lovely. Go ahead. Give, give me some more good news, please. Well, uh, don't, you know, it, it, if you're unemployed and you can't afford AC right now, this is bad news all the way around. I don't know how you listen to this, but. <laughs> Uh, assuming you're in the oil industry and you are wanting to see oil prices go up, the hotter it gets, uh, the more energy we're going to use. So, um, of course, you got to deal with the heat itself. Which is, <laughs> I just want I just want everything to go back to normal. When, when does that happen? That's all. I, I don't want much. I'm a simple man, a very simple man. I want Sergio to report on the Barnett, and I want the life to go back to normal. That's the only two things I want in life. What would be oil prices at normal? Like 120? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, probably 250 a barrel, something like that. <laughs> 250 a barrel, somewhere in that range. That's kind of my normal. Uh, well, there's a, there's another article that came out. Uh, EMP Productions from Heart Energy. Promise of tankless operations. Mm. Tankless operations. So, um, I believe it was Shell. Let me see where this is at. Um I believe Shell is doing this in the Permian and uh, yeah, Shell pilot project in the Permian basin of West Texas uh, here fluid oil, gas water from the wells are processed in pressure vessels where conditions of pressure, temperature and flow are controlled. 
Um, when the steps are completed, oil is ready to be pumped to midstream companies without the need for storage tanks. Uh, so it's an interesting concept that they're exploring. They've been, they've been doing a pilot project in Texas for, for a little while. So, um, be interesting to see how that, how that plays out. Uh, BP uh, to invest $70 million in India's green growth equity fund. Now, BP has been moving green for a while. I think... I think uh, hey, speaking of moving green, we had a listener reach out and say that we were wrong on some of our Germany stuff and sent me a bunch of stuff. I need to look at that. I, that's my, my goal this week uh, to, to kind of review some of the stuff and said that we were over, uh, kind of off on some of the stuff we're saying. So... Um, you know, just, just to be clear, this is, this show is for 100% entertainment purposes only. <laughs> 100% entertainment purposes only. So no, but uh, he did send me some stuff and, and, and some, some charges. So I need to, I need to look at that. I need to mention that uh, because uh, we might have to circle back around and uh, issue the dreaded correction. Um, we'll, we'll blame Sergio for not covering this properly. Yeah. Go, go <laughs> it's ahead. All his fault. It's all his fault. Yeah. Or Steph, the intern for not prepping the show properly. One of the two. All right, last article. This is just so you can end the week off on a chipper note. Mm. Markets head into a worst earnings season in 12 years amid mm. worries and virus is slowing mm. recovery. So mm. this is a report that's connected to the increase in the coronavirus cases that are happening in Texas and some other areas. But, uh, Ryan, there was, a, there was an article that came out, and I just I, – I can everybody can leave in a combative spirit. Ron Paul released an argument. No. Uh, a paper uh, or a news release or something where he actually said that it was fake reporting the the increased cases, uh, the way it was being reported was wrong. Um, did you see that by any chance? No, no. My, my chipperness of the day came from the world health organization who one of their, one of their gurus said that, uh, that the coronavirus is going to be around for four to five years before we've dealt with it. Oh, good God. Yeah. Um, it's, um, Dr. I'm going to get the name wrong for the It's the world health organization's chief scientist told the financial times global boardroom webinar on Wednesday. I would say in four to five years time frame, we could be looking at controlling this. Oh, good Lord. So I've been told, I've been told to trust the expert, Josh. That's what I've been told from the experts to trust the experts. So I'm going to trust this expert and I'm going to say that it's four to five years. That's what we're, that's, that's what I'm going to believe. It's four to five years. So this has nothing to do with anything other than is if it's really four to five years and we keep operating the way we are, do you want people to die? No. You want people to get sick? No. But if you just simply trust the experts, this is the chief scientist for the, for the who. Four to five years. At some point, we have to start talking about stuff more than three weeks out, right? Yeah. We have to start saying, okay, if if we if you want me to trust the experts, okay, I'm I'm trusting them. Four to five years. So, are we going to pretend like the case number surging, going up, going down, going up, going down, going up, going down? Okay, this is this is that's the next four to five years. Yeah. Okay. N- n- now what? Now what? Um. And so it's um. Yeah, it's just okay. why? Why do you? Why? Why? Ron you, Paul is. Uh, I, I just found this article where he is. Uh, he's roasting folks, man. Another bit of terrible news: um, the yeah. Texas Supreme Court rejects state GOP appeal for in-person Houston convention. So apparently, they say that they, they do have the constitutional right to meet. 
that they cannot meet at the center where they wanted to meet. Uh, so I, I think the argument is going that this, that the, the mayor is not necessarily calling off the event. He's canceling the contract at where the event will be hosted. And he has that right. Um, but he doesn't have the right to prevent them from meeting. So bad for demand. It is good for Liberty. I suppose if uh, all those things are right, but it's bad for a gas man because we need folks to get out and if they want to attend a um, Republican convention, then, then to go do such things. So, you know what? I was doing good. The, 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 the drilling info guy was on. I was like, man, we're going to make it. And then here you come with the COVID crap. I was really doing good. It's, it's Ron Paul's fault. Uh, fault. It's Ron, Ron Paul's fault. It, oh yeah. Ron Paul. Blame Ron Paul. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, he's it's he's on the podcast right now. He's on the podcast. Yeah. So, well, he, that article he wrote uh, made it to my attention today. So he's ruining lives today. <laughs> he's literally ruining lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's get out of here. This is gonna. Yeah, we're gonna have like the I hate COVID podcast before too. <laughs> get on here and just wail on it. <laughs> just we'll have open phones. We'll let everybody call in, and it's just like a three-hour. I hate the COVID fest, and uh, you know you can be like Mister Lockdown, but you still gotta hate this thing. We we should band together that we all hate the COVID. Wherever you are, if you are Mister Wuhan uh, Lab conspiracy theory guy, or if you are let's never breathe on another human for the rest of our life guy, I don't care where you're at on that spectrum. We need to band together. We all hit the COVID. All right. With that, I think we have, uh, we rounded up all the good news, the bad news. Wasn't a lot of good news this week, but. Um, the good news, price is above 40. Yeah, that's great news. For today. Um, bad news is COVID-19 still like causing economic damage. So The death uh, rates are only down 90%. We need to go further before we end this. Yeah. Much further. We need to have a 0% death rate of COVID. So, 0%. So, anyways. All right. Listeners, thank you so much. Last week for Roast Month. Roast has been months now, but Roast Month. So, up to 300. And we will be back next week. Until then, keep climbing. Mm-hmm.